0: this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 18. Uh, So if you have a Bible would you please uh, turn there with me right now. If you uh, do not have a Bible with you today you can find one in uh, underneath one of the seats around you and if you don't own a Bible then we just uh, encourage you to keep that Bible as a gift from us that you may have one uh, at home. Um, And uh, so, once you get there, again, we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Uh, If you get there, if you would, please uh, stand with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Welcome to Providence again. Um, once again, just always want to thank you for making us a part of your week. Excited to be here with you. Uh, my name is Eric Ripley. If you do not know me, um, and... Uh, yeah, I want to jump into it. So we're in Philippians two, like she said. Uh, we've been in this series about joy. Philippians is this awesome book that Paul the apostle writes from prison, uh, and the major theme of this book is joy. And and we've covered a quite a few topics thus far. We've talked about uh, joy in the gospel, joy in the church, and suffering, humility. Uh, today I want to talk about joy in the Christian life, and so what I'm going to be doing is taking uh, about a 30,000 foot view if you will, just generally what's happening in the Christian life, what's going on in the Christian life as we walk with Christ and why should that give us joy that's what I want to answer uh, today in our time so some of you, uh, I'm, I'm sure most of you are probably Christians, some of you may not be uh, and, and I was thinking about this, you know sometimes when we become Christian what we expect And then where we end up seems a little bit different, okay? And here's what I mean by that. Maybe some of you thought, if I become a Christian and I follow Christ and walk with Him, these are terms we use for uh, being a Christian having a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, that maybe these hard circumstances in my life might become less difficult maybe because i follow christ these things might change uh for the better now right because i'm a child of god and he's gonna work things out for me and and maybe you found yourself actually in worse circumstances or that hard circumstance you were in maybe got even harder like jesus promised that that might happen right Uh, Maybe you thought when I become a Christian, life is just going to be much more thrilling and full of life, if you will. It's going to be exciting, right? I get to join God in His mission. Uh, I get to fight sin. There's all these cool things uh, that you get to do, and then maybe you found your life in recent times not so thrilling. Maybe it's actually pretty boring, pretty mundane, okay? Um, Maybe you thought when I become a Christian that um, all my hopes, my aspirations, my dreams... Uh, are gonna come true, right? Because I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me. So therefore, I will fulfill my bucket list. I will accomplish this. And, and maybe you're at a place in life where uh, you have not completed your to-do list. You're not even close. Actually, you've gone the opposite way. Maybe you're kind of in a circumstance where you didn't plan on being in that specific circumstance, whether it's with work, family, et cetera. Uh, And it's confusing, right? Maybe you think, okay, if I become Christ, I obviously get these things. And then we realize sometimes life doesn't always feel like we thought it was going to feel just because we became a Christian. Um, So my goal this morning is I want to help us look into this text and see what God is doing every single day in our lives and why we can take courage, why we can believe the gospel, and why we can take absolute joy even when life is boring. We can take absolute joy even when life is hard. Um, that's what I want to address today and so my hope is that we can together we can see this in the text and and if you're not a Christian that um, my my prayer is the same that you'd be able to see what Christ offers uh, us today Uh, and so if you guys would join me in prayer I'd love to just ask God to uh, speak to us during this time so you bow your heads with me Father we uh, absolutely need you right now we we beg you would you open our eyes It's so easy to be frustrated with our circumstances. It's so easy to not believe um, the plans that you have for us, if you will. And so, God, I just pray you'd encourage us today. As we look into your word, Holy Spirit, would you give us strength at the very core of our being? May we take great joy as we worship you today, as we go into our lives, no matter what's going on. God, would you be gracious enough to speak to us and say, Lord, please, let it be your words today and encourage your body. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So I simply just want to walk through the text. There's a lot in this little portion of scripture and I do not plan on expounding all of it, but I do want to get at the core, I think, of some things that are going on here. And like I said, I already told you my my thought process. I hope this encourages you. So I'm going to jump into it. Um, My first point is that God... We should take joy in our everyday Christian life because God is working salvation in us. God is working salvation in us. Let's look to the text. It starts here in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to start there. So Paul says, just like you obeyed when I was there, much more now that i'm gone you should still obey jesus christ like don't just obey because i'm an apostle and i'm scaring i'm there but you obey even when i'm not there right because we we uh, we fear christ and he gives this command which at face value and maybe some of the things i'm about to say which i believe are biblically true are going to sound very contradictory to uh maybe some other texts and I want to kind of work through that but he says work out your own salvation with fear And trembling so Paul gives us some action to do okay now when he talks about your salvation here he's not talking about you justifying yourself before God he's not talking about you earning favor with God Christ has done that for us right Christ was beaten and nailed to the cross his blood was poured out for us and in him we now have the righteousness of God right he has won that in the gospel that's not what it's talking about here's what I think he means when he says work out your own salvation He's not talking about you saving yourself, but this refers to the ongoing walking in, growing in, and remaining in the blessings of that salvation that Jesus won for us on the cross until we obtain the resurrection from the dead. So what I mean by that is we're walking, we're growing, we're remaining in this salvation that we've been called to through Jesus Christ. Like The Bible uses the wording, we are being saved, right? So it's not just one-time thing, beat me up Scotty, right? It's this thing that like, it happens. There's this, well, thanks for the, you got the reference on me. Um, I'm not good at humor, so I just say things and move on. So you're free to laugh. You don't have to feel awkward if I keep talking. But, um, so it's not just this one-time thing that happens, right? But we are being saved. We're growing in Christ. And this is important. It's important. And so, but he gives this command. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you do CrossFit in here, you're like, yes. Work out, right? We get to work this out. There's a fight going on here, okay? Um, Paul commands us to work out, to achieve, to fight for our own salvation, to remain in Christ, to pursue joy in Him, to pursue loving Him. He calls us to do that. Now, you're probably thinking, isn't that God's job? And I would say, yes, it obviously is. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I don't want us to miss The commandment we have to fight for our life, our vitality in Christ, our joy in Christ, um, our Christian being. Okay? we are co-laborers with God in this. And I don't want us to miss this. We have action. We have action that we have to take in the Christian life. So uh, we can't just have what we believe, but what we believe must be followed by doing. Right? We act on what we believe. We don't just believe and then are aimless, but we believe and therefore fight for what we believe. And that's, that's important. Um, so the Christian life should be marked with a striving and a diligence to know worship and obey Jesus Christ we should be working for this for us to bear fruit of Christ's likeness in our heart and action is something that we actually work towards and I would go as far as to say and I'm going to make some of you jump in here but I would go as far as to say that keeping God's work in mind here if we aren't doing this um, then we may not be obtaining salvation does that make sense? He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So if you're not working this out, I would venture to say that maybe you're not walking in it. Does that make sense? Walking in the salvation that God has for you. And there's some pretty crazy commands in the Bible. And I want to look to one, actually. I want to look to Hebrews 3 really fast. Um, uh, here's what it says. If you guys would turn there with me really quick, or you don't have to turn there. You can be on the screen as well. Starting in verse 12. Verse um, and I'm going to refer back to this in a second, but I just want to make this point here. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I'm gonna reference this in a second, but there is a command here to take heart, to take heed, to work, because uh, there is a possibility of you having an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That's important to consider. I also wanna note that it says, work out your own salvation, okay? What this doesn't mean is that because grandmommy believes, you can just ride in on her faith, right, and get to heaven and say, well, I'm with her, right? She gets me in. It doesn't work that way, okay? Grandma can't get you into the club. It, how it works is that it's your own salvation, right? Christ, I love that. Bonhoeffer, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he, he makes this point that was just, was just really formative for me in my early Christian life, which is when Christ calls you, he calls you alone, right? He calls you, the individual, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When you show up in Judgment Day before the throne of Christ, it won't be you and others with you to try to justify you, uh, save Christ, right? It will be you before God. It's your own salvation. We don't ride off someone else's salvation, um, but he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So uh, my, my point is, is that we should be a fighting people. When I, when I am faced with the question, what does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to be someone who has vitality to their Christian life? And I would not say it's someone who has the longest moral checklist at the end of the day and said, so I was able to accomplish all these things because I'm awesome, I would say it is not in necessarily how much moral standing you have, but in the fight that you have to be in Christ, the desire that you have to be in Christ, right? There, there is like, yes, we will be known by our fruits, but the, the biggest fruit in the Christian life is that you are longing so much to be in Christ, to find joy in Christ, that you are fighting with passion to get there. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're fighting, right? There's a difference between someone who doesn't care and someone who's fighting. And so our Christian life should not be marked with slothfulness and laziness and apathy, right? But with zeal. Zeal to follow Christ. Zeal to love Him. Zeal to obey Him. Zeal to want Him. And and, and this is what Paul is trying to get at here is there is this fighting. There is this uh, aim there is this purpose in the Christian life. There is this longing, and, and it's, a, it's a fighting. It's a wrestling, right? It's like Jacob in the Old Testament who wrestles with God and says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. There is a fighting in your uh, life to work out your own salvation. Um, speaking of joy, he says we should do this with fear and trembling, right? That sounds pretty joyful, doesn't it? He says, not only should you be fighting for this, but you should be afraid and trembling. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot remember the last time I was scared enough to tremble. I don't want you to miss the strong wording by Paul. This was not just an overstatement. This was not a funny joke. He says, you should work this out with fear and trembling. And I think that is, is uh, for a couple of reasons, but I think why he uses that wording is because he is betraying that fighting for life in Christ is serious. It's serious both in the matter because it's your very life. It's also serious because if you're not doing it, there are major consequences, right? Like the Hebrews text said, be, be careful, right? Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Therefore, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near, right? Don't harden your hearts. It's in the rebellion, and so there is this seriousness that that the writer of Hebrews gives, that Paul's giving here, that says there is consequences here. If we're not fighting, if we're not desiring, if we're not working that out, striving, that should be reason to say, where do I stand? Right? Where do I stand with with God? There's a seriousness about fighting for Him with fear and trembling. Now I will say, I don't think fear and trembling means that we have to walk on eggshells around God and that we always have to feel like uh, we're un- unworthy and that we'll, we'll, like God doesn't love us. I think there's a way that you could totally fear God and at the same time feel totally cared for and totally eternally loved by God, right? I am in no way saying the gospel is not true. You should be able to have in the worst times of your life an assurance that you are Christ And he is yours and that no one, not the powers of hell, not your very self could take that away. However, I think there's a balance that on one hand we should feel this fear and trembling and heed the warnings of the Bible that say take heart lest you fall away from the living God and be hardened by sin and then on the other hand be able to say but he loves me, he cares for me, the gospel's true, I can walk in that when I fail. I want to be clear I'm in no way in no way painting a picture of, of works based righteousness um, and that's important and so um, yeah we'll get to that but with fear and trembling okay um, I talked about Hebrews 3 we're going to we we're going to move on here I would say one more thing actually we'll get there right now my apologies I was getting a little confused there I've had a lot of coffee this morning. I feel pretty jittery. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Um, Okay, so um, there's a fighting. There's a fighting, and it's serious, and you have a job to do, Christian. There is work. There is work for you to do, and it is very important. But I love that he gives the reason of why we must do this. So let's continue. Um, He says, "For." So do this, fight, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for or because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So why do we do this? Why do we work out our own salvation? Why do we strive? Why do we fight for joy in Christ? Because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God is working in you. We don't simply fight for our own salvation because by our actions we are gaining Christ. But we work for our own salvation because God is giving us Christ through our actions. In other words, our actions are not producing faith in us, but they are the means by which God is producing faith in us. God is the source, not our actions. But our actions are the tool in which God is giving the source. Does that make sense? That's a tough topic to dance around because you're, you're dealing with some theological issues here that uh, are, are pretty dicey, okay? But what I'm saying is that God has designed it in such a way that through your actions, your feeble, weak, I would dare say pathetic actions to be in Christ and to love Him, God has designed it that way to give you faith. So you're not earning. This isn't earning here. You've done nothing to deserve Christ. You've done nothing to earn your own salvation And you could even say, in a way, you've done nothing to remain in salvation. That's all God's work in you, but He's doing it through your actions. Therefore, we work, right? Therefore, we strive. Therefore, uh, in the midst of our actions, we pray, God, use this, right? Use this. It's important. Um, So, God is working. And this paradox, a paradox, right? It's a contradiction that looks so far-fetched that it could ever be together, but somehow it works together in the end. This paradox of our works and God being the one that works in us is a beautiful thing that we should embrace and that we must fight to remain in, in a beautiful way. Now, God not only works in us, but he works in us both to will and to work. This is an encouragement to me. This is a big joy to me in my life because um, God is not only working in you to work, but he's also working in you to want to work, right? He's working not only in your actions, but also your desires. So God is working both your desire for Him, your desire to be obedient to Him, your desire to walk in Him and have life in Him and to love Him and to know Him. Uh, And He's also working the actual action that He's prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So it's not merely just producing um, what our hands do, but also what our heart feels, what motivates those actions. God is giving us the very motivations of our heart to want Him, to obey Him, to love Him, to pursue Him, to fight, uh, that we might remain in Him. That's how God's designing it here. And so, uh, this is good news, okay? If you've ever known the right thing to do and didn't want to do it, right? Or you've ever been in a place where you're like, I know what I should be doing. I know what God has called me to do. uh, And I know how I should feel right now, but I just don't feel that way, right? I just don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing that. Take heart, because God is the one that can rescue. You can't produce that in yourself, You could try with all of your might, and you probably do, to foster uh, a heart that wants God, that wants to obey God, and you can't do that on your own. No matter how hard you try, no matter what kind of power you use, there's absolutely nothing in this world, no religion, no source of power that could produce that in you, save God himself that is producing in you to both want and to work. And so we should be encouraged at the I mean, um, this also produces an honesty with God, right? It's like, uh, God, I, I would say, God is much more honored and the very weak Christian who can't seem to want Him, but is humble enough to beg Him to produce in Him a want and a desire than God is in the Pharisee who seems to do everything right but has no desire for Christ, right? Jesus uses the parable. He says, uh, there's two sons, Okay and their father asked him to go do some work in the field and, and one says yeah i'll go do it and he goes off but he doesn't end up doing it and the other one says not a chance i'm not doing that and then he goes and does it and jesus asked the scribes and the pharisees he says which one was obedient and the obvious answer is the one that actually did it though he complained and said he didn't want to do it right and so um i think there's wisdom in 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 us approaching god we have the freedom now because it's not our responsibility uh, we don't have the desire. We don't have the ability to produce the desire. Now we have the freedom to say, "God, I don't desire this honestly at all." But Lord, would You produce this in me? It's the same. Like I want to want these things, right? It's like I want You to want to do the dishes. We could say, "God, help me to want those things," right? Like that's how it works. We can get on our knees. We can beg God to produce this in us. And there's freedom in that, guys. There's there is breathtaking joy in that. Um especially if you've been striving for a long time and not being able to produce that in yourself. Um, so you probably have heard the saying something like, um, I don't want to do this, and I know God wants me to do this, but since I don't want to do it, I shouldn't do it until I want to do it. So I'm just going to kind of wait till God uh, helps me want to do it, and then I'll do it right, and then, and then that will be awesome, and I'll totally glorify God. Um, but I would say that even when you don't want to do it, you should do it anyways, right? we should still walk in obedience. Uh, I used the example earlier, the first time I went to Brazil. uh, It was a pretty cool experience. It was my first time out of the country. We went up to this place called, uh, it's a state called Talkin' Cheese. It's right by the Amazon. There's this huge river called the Uruguay River. We were swimming in it and you you had to like do this because the stingrays, right? Because if you step on a stingray, it's death, you know? Um, and so you can't do that. And so all these cool experiences, like there's anacondas literally living in the forest next to the house you're staying in and all these like cool different things. And on the way back, it uh, took us like 20 hour bus ride up to this place. We're taking this 20 hour bus ride. Yes, it said 20 hours back to the city that we were staying in. And I started to get this pain in my stomach. I was like, oh man, this isn't good. You know, that's the last thing you wanna do. They tell you not to eat the food. I ate the food, the whole fish head and all, you know what I mean? And I started getting this pain. And it was like, it hey, was fish, it was really tasty, actually. Um, and then you st- I started get this pain, and for days it got worse. And I was like, man, what's wrong with my stomach? And, you know, my, my parents were like, that's ah, probably like gas or something, you know, you're fine. You just got to just, just let it take its course. And I'm like, okay. But after like four days, I'm like, I'm really hurting. Like, this is not funny anymore. Like, this really, really hurts. So we went to the doctor. We did a bunch of tests all day. You go from uh, a hospital to a different hospital, to a doctor's office. You got to get tests here, go get results there, go sign this paper there, go get more tests there. Um, and just a lot of stuff, and so uh, towards the end of the day, we get there, and uh, I go to this other hospital, it's like a government-run hospital, which is, tends to be a little sketchier, okay, than some of the private-run hospitals, so there you have people in waiting rooms on, like, bloody gurneys and just different things going on, okay, I'll spare you the details, but I got there, and this guy, his broken English, just asked me how I'm feeling, and he just kind of observes me for a second, he comes over, and he just pokes my side, and then lets go, and if you ever had appendicitis, what is happening there is if you press in on your appendix, the pain goes away. It's like magic. Like, I don't even need to get surgery anymore. I can just press it. But then you let it go, and all of a sudden, this flood of pain comes back into your abdomen. You're like, what just happened to me? Uh, and so if you know about appendicitis, you only have a few days. You only have so long before your appendix bursts. And I'm sorry for getting gory if you were thinking about eating lunch right after this. but um, And then it can kill you, right? It kind of... it it. it affects your body, infects your body, and you die. That's what happens with appendicitis. And so I could just walk around like this, right, and just kind of hope that it goes away. But what I needed was, was surgery. And so he you said, you're getting surgery today. I could have refused the surgery, but that's not going to help, right? Um, it, it takes uh, getting the surgery, dealing with the problem, and actually doing something that you don't want to do, right? Say, okay, I don't want to get the surgery, but you know, if I don't get the surgery, uh, it's, it's going to kill me. Uh, and in the same way, you may say, I don't want to pursue Christ. I don't want to have to go through that, right? But if, you don't, if you're you not pursuing Christ, I mean, apart from obviously God's grace, which saved every single one of us, you're not committing to something that can give you life. It's the same way like if you don't want to get in your word, for instance, right? We say this every Sunday. God's given us everything we need to know, worship, and obey him. And it's it's in this word. There's life in this word. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the very words of God. And we could say, oh, I don't feel like it, so I'm going to put it down until I feel like it. But what you're neglecting is the very means that God is giving you that you would feel like it, right? Like his word brings power. So as we dive into his word, as we beg him for grace, God gives power to want, to desire, he's working in you through your actions. It's not that you're earning through your actions, but he's working in you through your actions. So that's important. Uh, And then he gives us, the why God has designed it that way. And it says uh, that God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so at the rock bottom, God has designed it that way and God takes joy in that, right? God takes good pleasure when we humbly confess that we have absolutely no ability to do anything apart from him, nothing good could be produced, no life in Christ could be found apart from Christ himself and him working that in us. And God takes great pleasure in that. Like we said earlier, God takes great, great pleasure in the person who says, I, I have absolutely, I can't do it, there's no way at all. Rather than the person who says, don't worry God, I got this, I'll see you in a little bit. You know, uh, God takes great joy in us confessing our weakness. And that's sometimes not our Christian culture, right? Like we have this weird, vague, awkward, Southern Christian culture that says you have to have it together and God delights in that, not the opposite. But God delights in the opposite. God delights when you don't have it together because you don't have it together. No one has it together. That's the point, right? It's the point of the gospel is that God, you need God. Which kind of brings me to my next point, which is not only does God work salvation in us, but God shines his glory through us. God takes great pleasure because in doing that, God gets the glory, not us. And this is important. So, uh, verse 14, probably the most encouraging thing you'll hear all day, says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. If you have the ESV 2007, which I think is the version we currently use right now, it will say questioning. Uh, The 2011 renders it uh, disputing, which is what it is. Okay, I don't know too much Greek, so I trust them. All right. Um, But God says, because this is happening, because God is working in your life, both to will and to work, because God is working salvation in you, and in that we rejoice, right? That beats any bad circumstance that we have that happening on the daily basis inside of us. Paul says, do all things, not some things, not just religious things, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You could say, do all things without complaining and arguing, we are complainers okay we complain about the funniest things right and some major things but we complain right if you're honest with yourself what's your gut reaction when life is hard you complain right we're complaining complainers and Paul says do do everything without grumbling or disputing um, grumbling I think refers to an inward posture of sin Okay, grumbling is that within ourselves, within our circumstance, we are grumbling. We are mad. We are upset. We are discontent. We are frustrated about where God has placed us in His sovereignty in this very moment, in this present time, with our job circumstance, with our life circumstance, with our family circumstance, and we complain. We grumble. Um, we're complainers by nature, but I would venture to say, and I'm going to break this out a little more, but if we're truly in Christ, what are some of the promises we have, Right? Uh, God works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose Romans 8 28 God will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly Psalm 84 11, right we know the truth in the word that God has loved us God has redeemed us God has bought us an eternal inheritance that cannot be taken away from us right we have everything we could ever ask for in Jesus Christ that makes complaining look silly right it makes it look kind of trite um, so so Let's we'll shepherd us through this for a second. Why, why do we grumble? What causes complaint? i got a few things. We grumble because we feel like God is withholding something good away from us. We feel like there's something good that we should have, that we deserve, and God's not letting us have it for whatever reason. Therefore, we grumble. Therefore, we complain. But like we just said, right? God doesn't withhold anything good from us. I love this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, God does not give us everything we want, But He does fulfill His promises, leading us along the best and straightest paths to Himself. That is awesome. God, in His sovereignty, in your life, as a child of God, every little, very small, or very big thing that is happening in your life, God is actually, in His joy, for your joy, is giving you the best, the straightest, the quickest, the most glorious path to Himself For eternal joy in him that's what God is doing when you wreck your car that's what God is doing when you're annoyed at your children at 2am God is using all of that right that's what the scripture promises us that's awesome right that's good we grumble also because we don't like our circumstances and feel that we deserve better but we also fail to see what we have been given in Christ right eternal life, relationship with the one true God, forgiveness from all of our wrongs, etc., etc. We also grumble because we experience pain and suffering and feel like we don't deserve that either, right? But that's why James says in James 1, 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that God in that is producing steadfastness, right? Right? He's producing faithfulness inside of you, a steadfast, unwavering hope and joy in Christ in the midst of your suffering, which we talked about a few weeks ago in this series. And so um, be reminded that God, in all of these things, is producing in you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, right? That's not even worth comparing to the present sufferings. And so we've got to be reminded of these things. we got to be encouraging these things in your life, whether you're bored, whether you're sick, whether you're hurting, Whether you're disappointed because you didn't want to be here at this point in your life or this situation in your life, we can with confidence and with deep joy, if we believe, say, God is using this for the quickest, the straightest, the best path to him and my joy in him. So rather than complaining, rather than arguing, we can say, God, you are my joy. Help me find joy right now in the midst of this. Um, and oftentimes it's God's design that we wouldn't escape from that, but that we would find joy in Him, not just escape from our circumstance like Court said a few weeks ago. Um, so disputing or arguing would refer more to an outward posture of sin, right? And so not only do we uh, complain within ourselves, but we also are arguing with, with other people, and, and James gives some clarification where he says, why is there uh, basically fights and quarrels among you? It's because, isn't it because your passions are, are waging war within you, basically? Or, or um, And so... What's going on inside of you, the discontentment in Christ, the discontentment in life, the frustration in your suffering and circumstances also causes you to lash out at other people, right? So if I'm going to suffer, you best be right. Other people are going to suffer, right? And they're not going to hear the end of it until I'm done suffering. And then all of a sudden, after I'm done suffering, I'll be the most loving person in the world. But it doesn't work that way, right? You can't do that. And so uh, it's a natural, that sin of complaining, inward focus, being discontent in Christ leads to argumentative nature uh disputing with one another over silly things disunity in the church it breeds and sows disunity among god's people when we are uh inwardly uh sinful like that and complaining and so i would just say have some freedom uh the bible gives you no room to complain gives you no room to be uh disputing with one another therefore we should complain to god right I think that's a more legitimate form of complaining. We cry out to him. We explain our circumstance. We beg God to, to work in us and to do, do the work in us. And so that's what he does. Um, and I would just say, next time you're tempted to complain about something silly or something severe, next time you're tempted to be arguing, um, just remember, it just doesn't give you joy. Like the moment that complaint leaves your mouth, you just dropped in the joy level, if that's possible. I don't really know how that works, but you lose joy when you walk in these things. If you ever met someone who complains all the time, there's some of the most miserable people, right? And just naturally, God has designed that we would find our solace in Him, right? That we'd find joy in Him. And so as we complain, as we begin to argue over silly things, I'm not saying you can't suffer and be honest about your suffering and talk about your suffering. I think there's a major difference there. Uh, I think there's a way that you can express heartache. You can express sorrow. You can express suffering. You can express loss in a godly, uh, God-honoring way. But I think there's also a very sinful way. I think it's what Paul's talking about here when he talks about complaining and arguing. Uh, And so next time you are tempted to complain, uh, just remind yourself of that. There's no joy in here. Just remember this verse and quote yourself. Do all things without uh, grumbling or disputing, whatever that might be for you. Um, And then he goes on to say that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted Generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. And so, um, when we do this as children of God, as we walk as children of God without grumbling, without disputing, uh, we are blameless and innocent in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So, Paul is connecting here as we resist complaining and arguing, as we rest in God's work in us and his righteousness in us. That makes us children of God, blameless because he covers us with his blood, right? Uh, In the midst of uh, a a crooked and twisted, a sinful, a lost generation. And because of that, we shine as lights in the world and as we hold fast. As we hold fast to God's word the words of life, the promises of God, believe them in the midst of our circumstance, find joy in the midst of all of our circumstances, no matter if they are good or bad. As we do that, we shine the very glory of God to a lost world. There is something different about the Christian that uh, forgets about the desires they had um, and the frustrations they have because life's not working out the way they want to and clings to Christ in the midst of that. There's something different about that. There's something special about that. There's something bright about that. And so God, in your everyday life, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a business person, whatever you're doing, whatever you do, God is using you to shine His glory as you wrestle with this, as you cling to Him, as you beg for His mercy and grace to find joy in Him. And in that, we rejoice. Right, man. I rejoice in the glory of God, and um, just to speak into that a little bit, because maybe you're like, I don't know. Maybe you're feeling like I don't rejoice in that. I don't really know how to feel and connect to this circumstance. Uh, uh, John Piper had a, a line here that I thought was really good. He said, "If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world." Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. And my prayer this morning is that God would help us just to get rid of those small things, right? Uh, The more and more that we try to fix our own circumstances, we try to solve our issues, we try to find joy in what we can do to fix the problem, the less and less the glory of God becomes appetizing and um, our desire. Does that make sense? So the longer we nibble, the fuller we get, the less room we have for great things. And so uh, my prayer is that we would find joy in God and that we would open up a wide range of room for the glory of God because God is using you. Feeble as you may be, (laughs) as a Christian, he's using you, right? God uses what is foolish in the world to confound the wise. God is using you to display his glory. If that doesn't give you purpose, I promise you nothing in this life will. Nothing will give you purpose like that. God is using you to display his glory to the ends of the earth. This is true Christian joy. Not everything working out the way we planned. Not everything being awesome. Not getting rich. Not, not suffering. True Christian joy is God is saving me and God is displaying his glory through me. And lastly, not only does God work salvation in us and display his glory through us, but God is using you to do that work in others. So God is saving you, giving you purpose, and part of that purpose is his very cause, right? It's to display his glory. He's using you to work that in others. Paul says this, continuing on in the text, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me so Paul says, "I'm being poured out just like a drink offering. This was a practice in the Old Testament, a practice in the pagan world of that day. You would pour wine or some kind of a drink out to a god, whether it was on a sacrifice on an altar or on the ground. Like you know, um, you would be pouring out for uh, this god that you're sacrificing to. And Paul says, in the same imagery, my life for your sake is being poured out. Paul's not pursuing." His career of being the most zealous and awesome pharisee anymore he said he gave that up right we're going to read a little bit he said i count that as loss right it didn't care to him paul did not care about his worldly ambition anymore but he set that aside and said i would gladly be poured out and in another place he said i'd rather be spent for you right Like he rejoices in that and so we take joy that we get to say i don't care about my circumstance as much as i care about pouring myself out so that others could experience this joy in god this salvation in God, this work in God, the glory of God that we have hope in. And so we pour ourselves out for that. And in that, we rejoice in that we, we find great and deep satisfaction. So God is using us as we disciple others in this very work to call out to him, to believe in him as we turn our lives out and our others focused. Um, this brings great joy. And once again, just like Jesus promised, it's more blessed to give than receive. If you turn that inwardly and you try just to live for yourself, you're going to find that you lack joy once again. Paul is just trying to show us, guys, there's, there's freedom in the Christian life. There's freedom in the work that God is doing in you. And if you embrace that and walk with Christ, there's deep joy. Uh, and in closing, um, one, I just want to say, take heart. Right now, however weak you feel, however undesirous, if that's a word, you feel for Christ and His kingdom and obedience to Him, um, take heart. Take encouragement. There is deep joy offered to you right now. And it's just the gospel, right? It's the gospel. that There's no earning here. There's no earning. Paul's saying, I rejoice in being poured out because Christ Jesus was poured out for me, Right? Jesus Christ on the cross was poured out for you. As God poured His wrath onto Jesus and He absorbed that like a sponge absorbs water in a bucket and took the full weight and wrath of God for you onto Him, exchanged His righteousness for your sin, there is absolute freedom. And now we get to pursue Him. Now we get to find joy as He works all things out because we are His children for our good and for His glory being displayed to the ends of the earth and if that is boring to you there is nothing in this life that will excite you not any form of entertainment nothing nothing at all no thrill nothing you could chase that would excite you if that doesn't excite you that would be satisfying so may we take heart today may we rejoice that christ was poured out for us and therefore we walk in life with him and we pour are poured out for others And that's what's going to matter. Not if you got the career that you wanted. Not if you didn't suffer in this life. Not if you got the right house. None of that is going to matter. But this will. This will. So let us remember that Christ was poured for us. Let us remember his sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. Um, As we partake of communion today, I hope there is a, uh, a joy and a seriousness about what we're doing and remembering the gospel. Um, And my my prayer for us this morning is that we wouldn't be too quick to just come, eat the bread, drink the juice, sing a song or two, walk out of here without acknowledging if we're in a place where we're just not desiring this. You know what I mean? Like just acknowledging it, being honest, because there's freedom today to do that. There's not one person in here that can produce that. If right now you are in this seat and you say, that was a great sermon, but I feel totally desirous of everything you just mentioned, that is not your own doing. You know what I mean? And so I pray that there's some honesty here. There's going to be prayer partners on the side. And I would say, let's just not be too quick to just go through the motions, but allow God to strengthen us right now as we remember the gospel, as we take communion, as we are in his presence. May we. May we be serious about it. So, if you guys could stand with me, um, I want to read First Corinthians 11 together, starting in verse 23. A great text on the Lord's Supper. It says this: For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so um, for the person who would say, I don't love Christ, I, I don't believe in Christ, my encouragement to you is consider what Christ offers. Consider maybe why you have felt so discontent We're going to have a prayer of belief on the screen. We believe this in no way saves you, but we believe this might be a helpful guide to kind of consider and pray about what's going on in your heart. We, once again, will have prayer partners on the sides and and they would love to pray with you and walk with you through this. And if you're a believer in the room, um, like I said before, just be encouraged. Remember the gospel. Take a moment to say, God, I want to desire you so badly. I want to desire obedience. I want to walk in you, uh, um, but I need you because only you can work in me to want this. Um, and let's remember the gospel. Like, it's true for us. Like I said, from the, if you feel like the most feeble Christian in here, the gospel's true for you. So take heart um, and remember that. Um, and then also, just to point out, we do have, we're do we doing communion a little differently now. We have some wafers. There's still a gluten-free option, and we're doing the cups as well. Um, you can just kind of keep hold of those and throw those in the trash uh, on your way out. But let me pray with us. Uh, and then as we, we, we pray, um, we will take communion. So. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for um, life in you. Thank you for joy in you. Thank you that you do not abandon us, but you you care for us. That even at our lowest point, God, where we are disobedient, unwanting, and in no position at all to be able to produce want or righteousness within ourselves, you still love us because it's all your work. You're working in us. To display your glory, to bring us and grow us up into salvation for all eternity, and to also do that work in others. And you use us. God, I pray that people would be encouraged today, God, that you care. You care, God, so much about your children, and we feel loved this morning. God, would you use us for your purposes? Would you strengthen us if we've been discontent in life, if we felt like. All we can think about is how bad our life is or how frustrated we are to circumstances. Would you lift our eyes above the fog? Would you let your glory shine on us? May we get vision for our lives and would you use us for your purposes, for your cause, oh Jesus, on this earth, may we use to display your glory right now. May you give your church strength through communion. God, we love you. Thank you. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Providence, you can come and take it.